That's what it sounded like in Israel during this year's Yom Hazikaron, or Memorial Day, service for Machal fighters. They held it in a park west of Jerusalem, where the Machal monument is. Machal comes from the Hebrew words meaning volunteers from abroad. And there were about 4,000 foreign military personnel, including 300 from Canada, who went to help the emerging state of Israel fight for survival against hostile Arab forces. Most were already experienced Jewish veterans of the recent Second World War, who brought their vital military skills and experience. It took decades until Israel would recognize the Machal contribution. Today, there are very few Machal fighters still alive. But two of the last surviving Canadian Machal veterans are marking an important milestone. This week is the anniversary of their arrival in Israel in July 1948. I like to look back at it. It was one of the major moments in my own life and that I can look back with, you know, and see what was and see what is and see what, and what hopefully will be in the future. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. <music> 73 years ago this July, both Bill Novick and Irving Matlow found themselves part of the new State of Israel's hodgepodge defense force. Novick is in his 97th year now, and Matlow is a few years younger. Coming up, the veterans tell us what it was like, why they worry about the current Israel-Palestinian problem that the war helped create, and their hopes for peace. But first, here's what's making news in Canada right now. Canada will be part of a global meeting on fighting anti-Semitism that starts Tuesday in Jerusalem. It's being billed as the largest conference of its kind, and it's being organized by Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and their Ministry of Diaspora Affairs. Eda Yudin is going to be speaking Wednesday. She represents the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs' Quebec branch. Some of the other keynote speakers include the mayors of Frankfurt, Germany, and Sarajevo, and West Hollywood, and more. You can watch if you register. The link is in our show notes. Turning to the Vancouver area now, this week marks two months since 28-year-old Bernie Grempel was last seen. The Jewish swim coach has been missing since May 14th. His family and hundreds of volunteers have been putting up flyers and scouring the region around Surrey. That's where police confirmed he took a bus to visit his parents and disappeared. His sister Etty and brother-in-law Rabbi Israel Shurak have a GoFundMe page and a website, findbernard.com, where they post updates. <music> When Bill Novick and Irving Matlow arrived in Israel in the summer of 1948, the war had already been going on for a couple of months, and there was a British embargo on selling any arms to help the Jews of Palestine, but the British did supply weapons to Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan. Meanwhile, the U.S. had an arms embargo in place for both sides. But Czechoslovakia, which was under communist rule at the time, agreed to be Israel's supplier. Bill Novik flew salvaged plane parts and weapons in an airlift back and forth from Czechoslovakia, while Irving Matlow was fighting in central Israel and the Galilee, serving as an army signaler. They both join me now. Let's start with you, Irving. How did you answer the call and how did you get to Israel? And then we'll turn to Bill. Well, there was, it could have been in September of 1947, there was a meeting at the, the uh, Tomatora Auditorium in Toronto invited open people who may have been interested in going to Israel. I think it was an appeal to mostly for the soldiers, but some of us who were uh, Zionists or Zionist inclined uh, answered and left our names, and we were surprised perhaps 
that they took us because we had no military experience except from high school. When they accepted us after we had some medical examinations here, we, we were went to New York on May the 24th, and then we went by boat to Le Havre, to France, and then down to the south of France in a, some sort of a farm, which was our first basic training. And then after 10 days or two weeks there, we went down to the camp outside of Marseille, which was like a holding area for the refugees. And from there, we took a, a, a boat, it was called a Hahar, converted maybe from a freighter, and uh, arrived in Haifa, where we were from the boat, we went down to Tel Shomer, where we were enlisted, and then we went to our first camp um, outside of Haifa, and most of my time in Israel was spent in the Galilee. Okay, and Bill, how did you get the call? You had just come back. You were uh, a war hero from the Second World War, and you got a call from another war hero. Well, I was in the university and uh, um, studying pre-medical studies at that time. And, uh, of course, the state was declared. They knew there was going to be a war on. Uh, they were desperately looking for uh, Jewish guys uh, and girls who had had war experience in the Second World War to uh, come and join the fight for Israel because uh, there was no doubt about it that there was going to be an invasion by the surrounding Arab countries. Uh, I agreed to go. I was sent to New York uh, where I, I was given instructions to, first of all, go to Mexico City, that there would be planes available to fly uh, to Czechoslovakia to start the airlift. Uh, two days in Mexico City, I was told, no, there aren't any, you're going to go to Cuba. I was sent to Cuba. I was there for two days. I was told, no, there are no planes. You're going to go to Puerto Rico. Uh, off I went to San Juan, Puerto Rico. And sure enough, there were three planes, B-17s, uh, salvaged from a, a junkyard. Uh, they'd been American bombers. And uh uh, I was a co-pilot of one of these planes to fly to Czechoslovakia. And uh, off I went to Israel with a dismantled Messerschmitt fighter in the, uh, loaded on the plane, along with other arms, flying first to Korska, uh, waiting a few hours so that we could then uh, arrive in Israel at night uh, because the Egyptian Air Force still had command of the skies at that time. And there was a blackout over Israel. Uh, fortunately, during the summer, weather was good. We were able to find our landmarks. Um, the Messerschmitt was unloaded. I spent uh, two or three days in Israel. Another plane came in. I flew it back, and this went back and forth. And it was the first four or five Messerschmitts uh, that were flown into Israel uh, uh, that... Uh, really attacked the Egyptian army um, only 20 miles from Tel Aviv and I think turned the tide of battle. A lot of people have heard about names like Mickey Marcus and Ben Dunkelman and Ben, and ben Gurion. You, did you have any personal meetings or contacts with any of these? So Ben Dunkelman, he was given credit for the Burma Road, but I think one of the things he's also given credit for in the capture of Nazareth and I think he made his own decision that not, they were mostly very Christian Arabs there, not, not to uh, force them to leave their homes and their uh, 
and their farms or whatever it was. And so Nazareth still remained maybe a Christian Arab society. Were you personally involved with that uh, that operation? No, or no, that was a, no, no. I think that was before. I, I, and what about okay? So let's talk about that. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, you know historical reviews about um, how the uh, local Arab population was forced or left or kicked out, and there were words about massacres as well in history. Um, how do you unpack this seventy three years later? The truth is it was a mixture of, of both their own leadership telling them to go away, also the impo- importance of having a, the land join one together. And, and you know, those times are different. And perhaps today, maybe we could be a little more liberal because Israel is so strong. Maybe we could do something. But I think the whole idea of a Palestinian state is off, is off the agenda. So... What what do you do if if they're full citizens and then they outnumber you? Because maybe in years to come they will outnumber you. But look, no, there's no countries don't have any problems, and we have the indigenous problem in in Canada. We're supposedly a very rich country, and we've been 150 years or something, or 200 years with the, and we still haven't solved it. So we're looking back for what when we were in Israel, what it was. And I was in Israel. Also, I came back on my honeymoon in 552, and I've been there maybe 50 times. And you know, my parents moved to Israel, so we've followed it development, and it's a success story that we are part of it, and a little bit in making it a success. I asked myself, did I contribute something to this? And there was one incident that I think you write about it in in the book that I that I wrote, that I think I, several lives were saved, and that makes me very proud of having participated. Uh, you know, the, the the world always seems to hold Israel and the Jewish people to a higher standard than anybody else. All right, and people have forgotten very quickly about the much, much larger number of refugees and displaced people that existed after World War II. This has settled down and and everybody came to some type of agreement within the post-war years. But that does not seem to be possible in the Middle East. Um, the, uh, the Israelis cannot be faulted. They were being attacked by five Arab countries. They had a significant population within their own borders that really were actually trying to prevent the establishment of the state. Look how they blocked the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was almost starved into submission in 1948. All this is, seems to be uh, forgotten by many people who criticize Israel. Uh, but on the other hand, um, the Palestinians are not going to disappear. My far-fetched idea uh, as far as what a good settlement would be, if the West Bank would become associated with Jordan in some form of autonomous situation. After all, they have a lot in common, but would this ever happen? I couldn't say. I think it would solve a lot of problems. As far as Israel is concerned, Israel functions and is functioning well, but I, I'm, I'm afraid uh, it doesn't both uh, both well for the future, especially for uh, young Jews in the diaspora who seem to have 
less of an attachment to Israel than our generations did. What do you make of the rise in anti-Semitism in the last couple of months? Oh, I I am very troubled uh, by this. Uh, uh, They focus on the occupation, which I'm not in favor of. But why is there an occupation? Why did this come about? People seem to have forgotten the past history of the various attempts the Arabs have made to destroy Israel, that they cannot understand many people in the Gentile world still cannot fathom the memory of the Holocaust is so very vivid in the memories of of Jews. And I'm more concerned with the younger people, especially at the university level. Uh, Somehow or other, I would like to see our students become more involved on a pro-Israel basis. Uh, They have to be given leadership. Uh, They have to have uh, facts on the ground to know how to counteract the anti-Israeli rhetoric. Uh, so I, I am I, I'm concerned and I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. I, I think that uh, we will uh, come through this and hopefully improve, but a lot will depend on what happens in the Middle East. Last word to you, Irving. You have to meet face-to-face with the people and talk to them face-to-face. That's the only way you're going to change the attitudes. And that's for the non-Jewish people. As far as students are concerned, you have to get them maybe involved more in in the Hillel or other Jewish organizations, and that's a task. You need to have, concentrate on on that. It's not gonna happen by, by itself. Sounds like a plan, sounds like a plan. Irving Matlow has written a book about his experiences. It's called At the Family Table. And you might have heard of his son, David. He's a Toronto lawyer and a collector of Herzl memorabilia and a contributor to the CJN. Dr. Novick just recently retired as an ear, nose and throat physician. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia, integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Brenda Adeski in Montreal. She likes to binge listen to my episodes while she's eating breakfast. And we'll close this episode with a little more from our Michal veteran pilot, Bill Novick. We also had an incident flying over the Atlantic with a B-17 when our navigator almost fell out of the plane um, uh, it's another uh, anecdote in the history of the Israeli Air Force. He was navigating by uh, uh, using a sextant because we really did not have any sophisticated navigation equipment. And he jumped down onto what had been a gun turret uh, and this gave way and his feet went out. But fortunately, the gun turret wasn't that wide. So he got wedged uh, just about a the level of his hips. And we, of course, were frantically, began frantically pulling him back into the plane. First of all, he was a navigator and it was absolutely essential that he, that he be there. And uh, uh, Eli Cohn, that was the guy's name from Brooklyn, a very nice guy. And we uh, pulled him back and he was okay. 